It is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's Andy. As we continue through this offseason, right? Which, you know, again, last year, I don't feel like we got a proper offseason and all the angst and ennui that kind of goes with that. Instead, we were worried about COVID and all this other stuff. This is, I mean, yes, COVID's still with us. And, and yes, we still have to be aware and be very careful and all those things. But uh, this feels more like a traditional offseason year, right? Where you've, you've got the spring practice kind of going on, and then you're going to be staring into several months of just nothing. <laughs> and uh, it, it's kind of, I don't know, it's not good. I'm not excited about it. But I, I will say that yeah, I missed it a little bit. I missed that feeling of, uh, you know, normalcy, I guess. And maybe that's what it feels like. You're going to have a spring game coming up here in about, what, like five days or so as of this recording. Um, it it, it kind of feels like things are maybe sliding a little bit. We're, look, we're worried about the defense, you know, or we're nitpicking the tiniest little bits of information we get from spring practice reports. I don't know, man. Does it feel like spring to you? Does it feel kind of back to normal a little bit? Yeah, it's a little bit back to normal. It's still it's still different in that you know we don't have the full access that we would have to sure spring yeah. practice. So it, it feels like maybe we're not getting quite the full glimpse. But yeah, you're not sitting here worried about is this thing going to happen or are yes. we going to have a spring game? Are we going to have a season are we going to you know that 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 part is yeah very different we know we're having a spring game we know we're having a season etc 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 there will be fall camp yeah there will be the first game this that's and that's nice to know that's nice to know i guess normalcy is creeping back into into life i mean we're we're talking about okay how many people will be at sporting events uh what does that look like you know so those those kind of things continue to continue to shape and develop and change. So it's, it, it, it does feel more like a normal off season. Totally agree with that. Yeah. And I, you know, and again, like we can still examine the breadcrumbs that we get. We can, we can analyze these to the nth degree. You know, people, we talked last week. Okay. Well, quarterback decision is basically made. We don't have to worry about that anymore and blah, blah. That's fine. You don't have to believe us. I totally understand if somebody wants to go down the list and say, okay, CJ Stroud got this many reps. Jack Miller got this many reps. Kyle McCord got this many reps. Kyle McCord went three for four, and CJ Stroud went two for three. <laughs> Jack Miller went three for six. Oh my god! And that's totally fine. I, I understand if people want to get into that because that's part of the fun of I think the off season and spring yeah. practice in general. Um, I think it's hard know, to have a hot take on the internet if you don't overanalyze the limited yeah. amount of data available to you. Come on. Exactly. And I will also say, you know, if you really want to get into it, um, there was a, a spring practice report uh, from Dan today, and I really enjoyed his extremely detailed uh, <laughs> uh, analysis of, of the running back situation, right? Where exactly who is in what order, uh, Trayvon Henderson got his black stripe removed and I want him to just be the starting running back, which is silly because, you know, he's been on campus for all of like five seconds, 12 minutes. Um, yeah. And I just, you know, I, I'm excited. I'm excited about these things, even though there isn't a whole lot to go off of, it, it still kind of gets you pumped and there are things that you, um, you know, become interested in and whatnot. I think the spring game is going to be uh, maybe not, you know, like, 
something that gives us a lot of information, but it'll be fun. It'll be a fun thing to kind of observe and check out and pay attention to. And I think that's, that's pretty cool. Another quick thing that I want to get into just briefly is uh, Malachi Branham, which is a, you know, he's, he's important for Ohio State men's basketball. I, I think you can say that with a little with bit. Certainty. little bit. Um, he's referred to in our report as a borderline five-star. I, I would hope that at this point, now that he's been named Mr. Basketball, that he will be a consensus five-star and people kind of acknowledge that this guy kicks a lot of ass. I, I don't know how much you've kind of followed Malachi, but I, I'm curious, Andy, is this a dude that you're pinning a lot of Ohio State's hopes on, particularly – as we get information that some of these guys are testing the waters and, you know, might be leaving Ohio state this summer. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, pinning my hopes on, I don't know if I'm quite there yet. I always hate to pin my hopes on because we haven't been a one and done factory. Sure. Uh, I, you know, I, I always hate pinning my hopes on a kid fresh on campus for the first time. Now that said, if I was going to do that, this is a kid you could probably think about, about mm-hmm. doing it he's that good i was chuckling um is you know saint vincent saint mary had a had a tweet congratulating him on being i think the school's fourth uh mr ohio basketball and and the funny thing about that is that their other three are lebron james lebron james and lebron james <laughs> and right. so my, my my quip you know to the guys was well so what you're telling me is that malachi equals lebron right yes he's exactly as good and somebody's comments like well at least a one one third of lebron and i was like you know what i'll take it right that would be that would be great too that sounds fantastic uh but i'm really excited for this guy and i think there's this thing about recruiting and and new players and so on you're always you're always excited for the next big thing right like it's just it's just natural. It's the reason that the backup quarterback is always the most uh, popular guy on the team. It's the reason that people follow recruiting like it is life or death and, and so on. Uh, but I don't, I don't typically get as jacked up about recruiting and new guys on campus as, as a lot of folks do. Like I would, I remember fondly the days when I didn't necessarily need to know a player's name until his second year on campus when he finally cracked the two deep. Mm-hmm. This this is a different thing, right? This cat's legit. Thirty seven points in the state championship game. Uh, he's really really sharp. A top thirty recruit nationally, and I just love his stats. You know, he's he's a guy that is going to be able to put up points in the game, uh, points of the game at a prolific rate, but you know, is also a well rounded player. And I think he fits um, on Ohio State's roster really well and need and, and, and fill some needs for Chris Holtman. The other part about yeah. it is that the fact that you're able to keep a player of that caliber home, that's really important, I think, just in general, because one of the things we've talked about, you and I um, consistently, is that we really like Chris Holtman as a coach on the floor. And, you know, the one thing that he could stand to step up on is, uh, the recruiting and these next two classes, I think he's really doing that. Yes. Yeah. And you know what? I agree with you having a six foot four guard right on the team. That that's something I would enjoy for the Ohio state Buckeyes. I, I think that would be something very beneficial for them. And I, I agree with you too, that being able to keep talent in state uh, the list of Mr. Basketball winners in the state of Ohio is really interesting in a lot of ways and how Ohio state has been successful and getting some of those guys on the team and how, Maybe they've lost some really less, high profile less guys. successful in some cases. Well, and that's the thing though, because like, I mean, you look at it and I remember 
the only time I think I ever cared about the Mr. Basketball thing or was became aware of it was with LeBron James. And of course he was going to mm-hmm. go to the NBA and that was, you know, that's how it was going to break down because that's what he was allowed to do. And I don't think anybody ever expected him to even think about college with his level of ability. And then, you know, I would follow Ohio state basketball recruiting and see if those guys had achieved that. And I remember like John Diebler, for example, just, I mean, the guy scored so many points in high school and he had a really disastrous first year at Ohio state. He did not play well. His, his three point shooting was atrocious. And I was furious. I was like, how could a guy who scored that many points in high school be this bad in college? I understand it's not the same game, but how can you be this bad? And of course, John Diebler turned it around and ended up becoming an unbelievable three point shooter and, and a huge part of the teams that he was on and uh, went on to have great career overseas. Um, but I, the list is interesting. I mean, you got, you know, Willie Buford, right? Obviously a Willie huge Buckets. part of high state. You get Solinger. Uh, I mean, OJ Mayo is an interesting one because, you know, did not end up Ohio state, obviously, but mm-hmm. had a, a really interesting career, I guess you could say. Uh, Trey Burke, a notable um, defection from the Columbus yeah. area. That was tough. That, that one's really tough. Mark Loving maybe didn't pan out as well as people expected him to at the college level. Maybe. Luke Kennard, a guy that I actually substitute taught uh, when I was uh, down in Franklin. Wow. Um, and of course he ended up at, uh, at Duke and, you know, I think he's in the NBA right now. Um, it's just, it's interesting. It's really interesting. There's a lot of talent in the Midwest. There's a lot of talent in Ohio in terms of basketball in general. And you want to see, as you said earlier, you want to see Chris Holtman lock that down, right? Yeah, you want right. to see all of that Ohio talent come to Ohio state because it's, it's the flagship program of the state, regardless of what, you know, people in Southwestern Ohio might believe. Um, and, 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 you know, and here's the thing too, you know, to add to that, like the importance of locking down the state of Ohio, we've, we've talked about it for football in year for years, right? Like oh, that sure, was yeah. the thing. I mean, one of the, one of the many things that Jim Trestle made Holy writ was that we will build a fence around the state of Ohio. Now, you know, successive coaches have put their own stamp on that, that we're going to keep the absolute best in Ohio and we will get the absolute best from everywhere else too. But you're not going to lose a five-star to some other school uh, in, in football. And you want, you want that same thing to be the case in basketball. The, the, the kind of, and also statement that I would follow this on, we've been talking about this a lot with, wrestling recruiting and i think it applies to basketball here Mm -hmm. that ohio state success in a lot of ways rises and falls on the success of high school wrestling in the state of ohio and i think you can say that about basketball too because like as you were going down through those list of mr ohio basketball winners like the the guys who were really great on that list i think about like jared sullinger how important was he to the program you know two-time mr mr ohio basketball and you mentioned willie buckets and, and john threebler like those guys put really you know really important stamp on the program now Ohio state clearly missed and not getting LeBron James, uh, you know, to play his college ball here. That's terrible miss there. But I think having a guy like Branham, that, that was a joke. You could have laughed appreciatively there. That would have, that would have helped me that bit about LeBron, but having, <laughs> you know, a strong, thanks. You don't have to overdo it. I the, apologize. Yes. Yes. Having a strong Ohio high school basketball program and then being able to keep five-star talent in state like that's really important yeah. to a program like ohio state that you know people always say when we talk about buckeye basketball well it's never going to be and, and i scoff at this it, it frosts my flakes that oh we're never going to be 
North Carolina or Duke or Kentucky. And I, my response is always not with that attitude. We're not, you know, <laughs> uh, and I get, and I do in all seriousness, I do get when people say that, but if you, if you take that as a given that if North Carolina comes calling, you're going to lose a guy like Ohio state has to keep Ohio guys that yeah. are that good home. And here's right? the other thing though. Like it's not, I understand that you've got a blue blood program and, and people want to go to, but I don't think it really is the same kind of thing as football. I, I really don't because in basketball, one or two players can have such a huge impact huge, on a program, huge. right? It's, it's not where you've got to go to a system, right? Where you have to go to a program that has this really long legacy of, of winning and doing well be, and, and that your contribution, right. Is, is necessary for them. It's not necessarily like that in basketball where it's like, look, you're going to be the dude. Okay. If, if you come in there and you're a LeBron James level talent, or you're a Zion Williamson level talent, you can completely change the direction of a program, right? That your, your ability to impact the national perception of what a team looks like is huge in college basketball. And look, Roy Williams just retired. Mike Shevsky is a trillion years old. I don't know. Nobody knows how long he's going to be coaching. Duke didn't do that great this past season. Anyway, Kentucky's been terrible for a couple of years. Yes, they've been bad. Indiana Kansas... hasn't been good in like several listeners lifetimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and I, I appreciate, and I do kind of think it's, it's, it's a little awesome that Indiana uh, is kind of retaining all these dudes and they're saying we're all on. I think that's actually kind of awesome. That, hey, that's it, you cool. know, and talk about a stamp of approval on the new administration, right? Yeah. When everyone on the team was out, and then everyone on the team is suddenly back in. Yeah. Hey, that's good for know, them. Good. Seriously. Yeah, good for right. them. I think that's cool. But I, but look, those kind of things can change on a dime and Ohio state, Ohio state comes in and they, they pull on a recruiting class like they did. And, you know, with the 2005, 2006, you know, that, that, that group of guys. Okay. Um, you know, with Odin and, and, and everybody else around them, yeah, you can do some really, really good things. And I know Thad Mata kind of fell off at the end there. And, and I think in large part because of his health issues, but like he was building something akin to a blue blood at Ohio State with the kind of players that he was bringing in. And granted, a lot of them didn't work out, right? Like we, people can complain, complain as much as they want, like Trey McDonald and Amir Williams and Mark Levy not being great. But like they were really, really, really highly regarded uh, recruits. And had they panned out and, and had they played up to their ability, then I think, you know, you're looking at a new blue blood in, in college basketball. And look, you can make the claim that honestly, Michigan is starting to establish something like that. And as much as that pains me to say, it's really about being able to be consistent and having good players. And, and you can mm -hmm. build that. Um, and you've seen that with Gonzaga, for example. I mean, yes, they haven't won the championship yet, but that's, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is that, I totally agree with you in that Ohio state has every capability um, to, to be at that level. And I, I hope that Chris Holtman can get them there and then bring in a guy who's Ohio's Mr. Basketball is definitely a step in that right direction. Yeah. Um, so it's, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. They've got a lot of other dudes come in and, you know, we don't know how many people are going to be leaving because they're kind of testing the waters and, you know, NBA draft kind of works in a wonky way and there's no real telling about who's going to go where and all that kind of stuff but um you know it, it is part of that stepping stone that you've got to create to get up to that next level and, and hopefully holman does that well uh, and that also end, doesn't you, lose in the first round to uh you know incredibly terrible 
<laughs> not terrible, but you know what I'm saying? Like low ranked teams anymore. Like they you were get this close to being in the final four, Johnny, this right. close. Right. Uh, you mentioned players testing the water. So important to mention since last week's program, Dwayne Washington Jr. Announced yep. he will enter the draft while retaining the option of remaining at Ohio state. So what, what say you, Johnny Ray, do you think EJ Liddell and Dwayne Washington Jr. are suiting up for Chris Holtman next season? Oh God. Uh, I think, I think Dwayne probably, I don't, well, you know what, honestly, I, I couldn't tell you because the thing is, is that I would like to say they're going to both be back. That would be awesome. I would love that. I think that would be great. I am very interested to see what kind of evaluations they get because Dwayne showed incredible amount of skill, like skill, like basketball skill. I don't mean just talent. I mean, basketball skill, heady ability to like make an impact on the game um, towards the end of the season that a lot of NBA teams are like, okay, that's a guy who can be a role player. EJ is interesting to me because physically I think he's more appealing to NBA teams Um and, and that he can really like bang inside and also hit the, you know, the outside jumper and all that kind of stuff. He, he's an outside inside kind of guy. And I know they'd love that. Um, I, I think ultimately you are going to see maybe EJ back and then maybe Dwayne test the waters, no matter what that, that is what I think is a possibility. And I could be completely wrong on that, but I, I want to think that maybe one of the two of them will, will be back next season. Yeah, I don't know enough about um, NBA draft scouting, to, you know, to know like how good, um, how reliable some of these people are out there on NBA draft Twitter. It's not kind of like NFL draft Twitter, you know, you sort of have a feel as who are proven commodities and who's just sure throwing crap against the wall to see if it sticks. Um, I've seen a couple places se- seem to think that EJ, you know, could be a second rounder. Like if you're, if you get a second round pick, do you think you're good enough then to play yourself into a lottery pick? Do you come back? Right. Or do you say, Oh, you know, not bad. And, and the other thing I wonder about too, with these guys is how many of them, like, is, is it NBA or bust or is it, you know, I can make a pretty good living in insert European or Asian country <laughs> here. Yeah. Like, Oh no, I got to live in like the French Riviera and make, <laughs> um, you know, $3 million a season. Like life's life's hard for me. Like how many years was Aaron craft in, Oh, whatever pro league he was in i mean like, probably like a while nine years. yeah 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 a while yeah that's not that's not a bad life and you can you know especially if you're trying to like establish yourself for the future and you know go on do other things i don't think there's anything wrong with that so i and that's the other thing like you know we talked about this too i don't blame a guy wanting to leave early no. in, in basketball you can make so much money right. it's in and you have a limited time period you know if you if you want to really like make bank and do it overseas in a nice situation i i don't think there's anything wrong with that like again with football you know it's it's basically the nfl or bust but mm-hmm. basketball make your make your cash man i don't have any problem with that so you know if somebody comes up to to Dwayne and says hey man you know you get to live in like the Swiss Alps and we'll give you, you know, 750,000, a hundred or a hundred or a million dollars a year or something like that. Then I, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I understand it. It makes sense. Now, speaking of guys who are likely to be playing in one of those leagues, uh, uh, CJ Walker dispelled any thought that anyone might've had that he would take his extra year of eligibility uh, <laughs> to play for Ohio state. He announced via 
Instagram on Monday that uh, Monday, yeah, Monday that he will be foregoing his extra season of ex- eligibility, hiring an agent and pursuing yeah. his professional basketball career. So thank you for your service, CJ Walker, but kind of goes back to your conversation about guard play and the importance potentially right. of Mr. Branham coming in. Right. And maybe, I mean, I don't know. I, there's some people like, yeah, all right, let's go. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm done with dudes dribbling off their foot, but like, you know, it, it's always sometimes better to have the known quantity rather than the, the unknown, I guess, in a way, but you know, CJ is not, he it definitely has his moments of brilliance. It'll just be interesting to see what he ends up doing. And I hope he's successful because you know, it's like I said, it's a big world out there. You might be able to make some cash and more power to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask you this. So there, there has been an interesting report with a former Ohio State running back who is a, uh, uh, you know, a former Heisman winner, Eddie George out there. It looks like this guy uh, might be getting to some coaching, might be doing a little bit of, might be doing a little bit of a head coaching experience there at a Tennessee state. I want to ask you this. So I don't know. I mean, Eddie George, as far as I know, has has very little <laughs> coaching experience, right? I, I don't know that he has much of any coaching experience at this point. But we asked the question in the forum, and I want to ask you, uh, based on what you know of past Ohio State football players, who would you be super stoked to see get like, I don't, I'm not saying like a marquee, big time, you know, a-level coaching experience but would there be anybody where you'd be like okay i really want to see this guy at like a max school is there any coach is there any player that you would like to see be that kind of coach jt barrett man uh oh man I, there are so many guys in in recent years in particular where they were guys that you knew weren't going to be you know 10-year journeymen in the league but that you thought man they have so much to give to the game yet uh, i remember kenny guyton as as a great example where you like you knew kenny wasn't going to be on you know he wasn't going to be how a dare you how no, dare no, no, no. you come on come on I, my, I i have said on this show more than once that my favorite absolute favorite ohio state live sports moment was kenny guyton's comeback over purdue oh that's yeah, hilarious i i mean best that, thing ever it was it was and that and i tell that story at, at least once a season because that was the first Ohio state game I went to with the stunning Mrs. Vance. And I was one of those worthless bastards who was ready to leave the stadium. (laughs) And my wife who did not grow up an Ohio state fan, right? She's from Wheeling, West Virginia roots for the Mountaineers. She looks at me and says, are you going to be one of those people? And one of those people who don't get to witness Kenny Guyton putting together the greatest comeback in Ohio state history and having her shame me into staying then turned out to be witnessing the greatest comeback in the history of sports. You know, like it was, you know, why Kenny Guyton, by the way, is so great. Not just because of that, but there was a Photoshop that we did. uh, (laughs) Somebody did. I don't know. I don't want to say we, because I don't think it was anybody. I think it might've been something on the forums. But they did. They photoshopped his face onto like actual Kenny G's Kenny like, G. body and head. So he's like holding up Kenny G's saxophone tuba. It was whatever the hell he plays clarinet. I don't know what does he play. Well, he plays saxophone. I'm pretty sure that particular one. He was like maybe a soprano sax that kind of looks yeah, like some a kind clarinet. Of thing. I mean, it was hilarious. Yeah. And so here's the reason why Kenny got. And it was a really good Photoshop too. Like this wasn't Fantastic. like you know fun with MS Paint. This was legit. Yeah. It, you you would have sworn that that's what he actually looks like. But the best part is is that we had a um, an event at the Woody. It was to raise money for the um, the Gold Pants. It was our Gold Pants social, and we were kind of walking around the facility and. 
uh Ken, this is when kenny guyton was at ohio state and on one of his like lockers because you get like multiple lockers there you, you've got stuff for upstairs and stuff for downstairs whatever on one of his lockers he had taped that photoshop yeah. onto his locker as a point i, I assume a point of pride <laughs> So I give him enormous amount of props for that. Um, he's just, you know, he was just a cool ass dude and, you know, plying his trade, continuing to coach. I think that would be really awesome. I agree with you that Joe Thomas Barrett is, uh, you know, definitely a guy who maybe people outside of Ohio state fandom wouldn't necessarily recognize as a guy that would be a great coach. We all know him as, you know, the hype man, the, the leader that he is. And I agree with you. I think that's that's definitely a guy who would be an excellent head coach or, you know, any kind of assistant coach or whatever someday. I think he would be really well in that role um, well, just as a leader. Well, I mean, um, I want to close the thing on Guyton for a minute, too, because you look, you know, Guyton's now been coaching in Division One for yeah a while. A while since, I mean, he started as a GA in 2015. Yeah. You know, spent a couple seasons with Houston. He's been at Louisiana Tech, Colorado State, and now at Arkansas. Uh, which by the way, I mean, great get for them. So he's been as a wide receivers coach, uh, you know, so he's been making it work for a while now, right? Like that's, yeah. that's a good start to a career. Those are schools where, you know, you go and you, you build your resume and you know, when, when he gets the next shot, is it, you know, being a passing game coordinator, is it so, uh, you know what's, well, what's fun for me is that it takes all types because here's the thing, right. And this is why I don't think I was 100% all in on Urban Meyer at first. Not necessarily because I didn't think he could do the job or he wasn't going to be good, but I was like, eh, I don't know what this dude, because he would say stuff about Kenny Guyton about how he didn't like really think Kenny Guyton was up to snuff, right? That he wasn't like doing what he was supposed to. And I know Kenny Guyton in the past said, no, he's right. I had to like get on my horse. I'm like, if you couldn't understand the inherent amazingness of Kenny Guyton just by being in his presence <laughs> from day one, that's that says you, a little Urban. bit about you as a person. <laughs> that's that's all I'm saying. Because he's like, well, he's kind of a goofy dude. Like, yeah, man, but that goofy dude's going to win you Purdue. So you better shut up and just sit back and watch this guy kick ass. I just, I don't know. It, it's it's fun for me when someone like that is that successful. Uh, people mentioned on the site, like, yeah, like John Simon. I think that would be really interesting. Um, I, you know, I was not surprised to see a guy like Mike Vrabel for example, enter into the coaching ranks because, and, and not necessarily at the college level, I knew that he was kind of like an NFL bound type dude because he has that mentality for yeah. the sport and, and at that level. And I, I think it's really cool what he's been able to do um, like in Tennessee and, and, you know, elsewhere and whatnot. I, that's a guy who I think his chops were kind of developed um, in the NFL, right? Like yeah. in, in the capacity that he had as a player and then, getting to obviously observe some really great coaches as a player and then kind of translate that into it. That that was a dude who I kind of felt was destined for the NFL, but um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Like a guy like, you know, people talk about like Ryan Shazier and whatnot. It's interesting how many really great leaders have come from Ohio state. And I don't know. I mean, I think about people in the league right now. Right. And, and, I mean, I remember we've, we've talked to like Terry McLaurin, for example, and I'm like, man, that is one of the most impressive people <laughs> you will listen. It is, it is so amazing to listen and to talk to some of these players mm -hmm. because they're just, their leadership capabilities just scream at you with everything that they do. And it's just, I don't know. It's a lot of fun to watch. Those are the players I really enjoy watching their career kind of develop because yeah. I know they're going to continue to do some really awesome things afterwards. Yeah. So. That's, that's one of the things I enjoy about 
about the sport in general because he, with football in particular, you know, even if you don't have the chops to be a pro, like right. there's a, there's a lot of opportunities out there because there's so many college football programs, right? You can go out there and give it a shot as a coach and and potentially, you know, be a really fantastic. Well, Ohio State's got a pretty great. I mean, you look at Ryan Hartline is another example we haven't talked about, but guys, oh gosh, yeah who have just had a fantastic Did you, let me ask you this did you think Hartline was ever going to be like uh, the kind of coach that he was it's, or did that guy, surprise you well what i didn't know was because here, here's the thing you can look at a guy and be like he was really fantastic as a talent now just because you can excel at the position doesn't mean you can teach it right i assumed he would have the swagger and the gravitas to be a good recruiter mm-hmm. so so that part didn't surprise me because you knew recruits would dig a guy with rings on his finger and could sure, yeah. talk about what it's like to be in the league and th- that that sells that always sells right but you just don't know about the teaching component right can you yes. can you teach or is it one of those things that you just do so naturally you have the god-given gifts and abilities that you can't go i mean you're a teacher you get this right sometimes yes. I, I heard it i heard it put this way my high school chemistry teacher and my high school algebra teacher the algebra teacher's preferred subject was chemistry and the chemistry teacher's preferred subject was algebra, <laughs> like, like yeah. as students, but they each said I could never teach the other subject because I just got it intuitively uh-huh. that I wouldn't be able to help the students understand. Right. If they didn't just get it. So right. the chemistry teacher, like, because I struggled a little bit at times at chemistry, I can, I can help students who are struggling with chemistry and vice versa. So, uh, you know, that's what you always wonder about. Can you teach the position and the technique? And, and so on? look at, I mean, look at Larry Johnson, like his gift, among yeah. other things, is how good he teaches the techniques and the finer points of playing the position. And, you know, the violent hands, like they talk about, you know, just how good Ohio State's defensive linemen are with their hands compared to everybody else. Right. Yeah. So no, that's the part that you don't know when you see like a guy like Hartline getting his start in the sport. What kind of teacher are they going to be? You can you can sort of tell just from their personality and their, you know, their their characteristics. Uh, on the field or or in their you know life and their interviews and so on, can they do the recruiting or you know do they have what it takes to to do that part of the business? Yeah, I was. I'll I'll admit, like I I like you expected him, you know, Heartline specifically to be a really good recruiter. But I have been incredibly happy with that teaching component that you mentioned, and it it's. I think we get caught up sometimes when we talk about. Um, evaluating players and and positional units because we go, okay, well, where are they going to get drafted or how many yards have they put up? But if you look at the mechanics of what the wide receivers are able to do with Ohio state, like how incredibly crisply they run those routes and how good they are with their hands and how smart they are with positioning with their bodies, the, the things that they do mechanically are incredibly sound. And that is absolutely a testament to Brian Hartline who, you know, as a wide receiver himself, did all of those things very, very well. Yes. Right. And so I, I totally agree with you. Like the, the teaching component is absolutely there and it's, it's just a fascinating process to watch. What's funny is, is that if I was going to peg a former Ohio state wide receiver to be in that coaching role, right. Because of his leadership abilities, it would have been Anthony Gonzalez who is now in Congress. Yeah. So like, and- it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well maybe it works out either way. Right. Like you're going to have those abilities to go ahead and, and maybe showcase that on a, on a large level. Um, so I, I just find that really interesting and, you know, it's fun to kind of think about which players current and, and past might, you know, be the next to kind of step up and do that. And, you know, you, 
he hasn't even started his NFL career yet, but you know, I know there was a lot of stink about Justin Fields, which I'm, I'm glad that we decided to have an entire national conversation about that without <laughs> asking any Ohio state writers or observers at all. Oh, That's cool. My God. Um, Dan Orlovsky, come on. Man. Oh my God. Uh, on. Seriously. Just ask a dude in Columbus. That's all. That's all you hey, would have had. I to mean, do. here's the, here's the biggest take. If people didn't pick up on this and I'm, and I'm sure that the, because our audience is the most astute group of listeners anywhere in sport, they they've already done this, but what you, what you really take away from that tempest in a teapot of a story is that 99 and you know three quarters of the information that you get from NFL draft Twitter that is sourced from teams. Oh God, <laughs> is disinformation BS designed to have yeah it is fall to their lap or I mean it's. It absolutely is. If if there wasn't a name behind it, you know, if it was anonymous scout told me that anonymous scout is placing disinformation as as part of a tactical campaign. <laughs> I I mean I this has been dissected to death in the last couple of weeks, but I just I don't understand how anybody puts any stock in any of this stuff in the lead up to the draft. It is so much BS and ridiculous. Like like you said basically manufactured information to try to you know push one narrative or the other on the part on the behalf of the teams themselves who are then trying to make these draft picks i just it's it's silly and ridiculous and there's a ton of leadership on ohio state's team and justin fields is part of that so i think it would be really cool maybe at some point to see him in that kind of capacity but he's got a he's got a pretty kick-ass career ahead of himself hey hey and by the way you know credit where it's due credit to kirk herbstreet i know there is a is a slice of ohio state fandom that thinks uh, Herbie goes out of his way to be critical of Ohio state in some sort of misguided display of objectivity as a journalist, but I got to give Herbie credit. I mean, he called Orlovsky out and that's his coworker. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think he made any fans of the SPN HQ by, well, what are they going to do? Orlovsky. They're going to fire him. Who cares? But, but, but <laughs> good, you know, good on him for, you know, publicly having a fellow Ohio state, uh, you know, alumnus is back. That's, yeah, that's exactly, you know, that. and, and, and by the way, you know, coming with it strong too. So good yeah. on, good on Herbie. Yeah. Made no bones about it. I appreciated that. I thought that was pretty cool of him. Uh, so before we're going to ask us anything, we do want to remind you that the Dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11 warriors.com dry goods. 11 warriors.com shirts, hat stickers, all kinds of great stuff. Check it out. Let's do some ask us anything. I, you know, ask us anything. Like I said, always one of the best parts of the off season for us personally, because there's just, you know, it's, it's, it's where we get to hear from you and all of your, you know, thoughts and foibles. And I just enjoy that quite a bit. So if you want to ask us anything, you can send us a question to dubcast at 11 warriors.com D U B C A S T at 11 warriors.com. Let's start uh, this one from Dan and Dan asks. So, Hey, Johnny and Andy, I was just curious what your thoughts are on going back to full capacity for games after this pandemic. Do y'all still want to go to a stadium with a hundred thousand people? Should OSU just reduce the capacity since it's already fairly uncomfortable to begin with? Uh, I'm personally not sure I want to be crammed in like that again. Curious on your thoughts. That's a great question. That is an excellent question. Yeah, It's a and, fantastic question, Dan. Yeah. And a lot of people are going to have to ask themselves that when the fall season rolls around and you know what here's here's honest honest god truth for me you put 107,000 people in that stadium right now i'm not feeling super hot about that in in april of 2021 maybe by the time september rolls around i'll feel a little bit different right things have gotten better 
I think they're saying like when the next few weeks, like half of America will have at least gotten one shot of vaccine, which is incredible. Um, I might feel a little bit different about it right now. I can understand some trepidation, some worry about it. Um, I don't think they'll be at full capacity in the fall. I think they'll be looking at much more like something like, you know, a third or quarter capacity, which I, I think I would be okay with. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I'm quite there yet. I don't think I'm a full capacity guy at, as of April 12th, 2021. Yeah. That I, I would say probably mirrors my feeling on as well uh, in that, and, and, and so I, I want to give credit to uh, the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center for running a fantastic mass vaccine clinic oh, yeah. at the Schottenstein Center. That's where, where we got our, our first round um, at the shot. And we'll go back here in a week and, and uh, have the immunity fully activated. Hoorah. So I'm very, very impressed with what a great job the team at Ohio State did running, running that and, and kudos to them. Now, that said, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you like, 107,000 people unless unless somehow between here and August you know we hit that what 80 or 80 some percent threshold we need to see vaccination wise to to ensure I don't remember what the exact number is but there's a number that you have to get people a percentage of people that are vaccinated to to ensure the the herd immunity Um, if we get there then hey you know what I'm I'm good with it let's do it but I will say setting aside the whatever the number is, if it's 50%, if it's 25%, if it's 75%, whatever it is, I think this is a real opportunity. Uh, and, and maybe this is just my optimistic nature, my glasses half full, my look for a silver lining, my don't let a crisis go to waste sort of optimism. But if you think pre-pandemic, one of the storylines that had been going on for a few years was the 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 dwindling of butts in the seats at, at college sporting events. Um, and, and this has been a problem, not, not specifically for Ohio state, but for a lot of programs, mm-hmm. getting people, you know, being able to sell out the stadium wasn't just a given, you know, and you could look at things like, of course we tended to focus a lot on Wi-Fi in the stadiums or things like that. Yeah. Um, but as TV and high definition, you know, there, there are a lot of people I know that would be just, perfectly happy to sit in front of their 70 inch high def screen and drink their own less expensive, eminently cold beer, uh, you know, and watch the game in the, in the comfort of their own home. Like that's a thing. So if you remember back to that, there was a lot of discussion of how do you get people interested in coming to the football game instead of watching it on TV at home. And I think this is an opportunity, particularly for a school like Ohio state, to really up their game. And you talked about how uncomfortable it is. I, I gotta be honest. I'm a big guy going to the shoe and sitting on, you know, one of those bleachers. <laughs> yeah. 12 square inches, Andy, what are you talking about? That's... I, I mean, almost as bad as flying, you know, commercial air travel or, you know, on a little feeder airline between Columbus and Chicago, you know, like that's there. Yeah. I've been on a lot of airplanes that just were not built for a man of my stature and Ohio stadium seating arrangements not really built for a man of my stature. And so, so I get, you know, I get that. And I think, I think this is an opportunity for a school like Ohio state for, for the big powers that be to look and say, how can we really up the wow factor for, and, and, you know, getting more comfortable seating is part of it. No question. More comfortable seating is part of it, but just overall make it worth my time. And plus, by the way, these are super expensive tickets and if we limit capacity that necessarily means based on the laws of supply and demand yeah. the prices have to go up so if i'm going to be paying 200 bucks 
at some point, you might as well say 200 bucks a ticket to go to an Ohio state ball game. Like you got to make sure I'm not miserable while I'm there. Right. And I think this is the opportunity to so, say, how do we do that? It's interesting how you frame that too, because the city of Columbus has a very modern new stadium that's going to be opening up this summer, right? Yes, With yes. nice full seats, all the amenities you could possibly want. It does feature the sport of soccer, which I know a lot of people may, you know, turn their noses up at, but you know, Ohio state football is going to be the biggest game in town. I'm not saying that's ever going to change. I'm not implying that, but I agree with you that, and I've said this for years that Ohio state is going to have to confront the reality that you just kind of laid out, which is that the product can be enjoyed from home just as well as it can be joined in person. And I agree with you, man. I, I think they're going to have to up their game in some respects. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what kind of, um, you know, steps are willing to take at this point, but I, well, I mean, you, I mean, you put it well there. It's, it's what steps are they willing to take? Like that's, yeah. that, that, what, what is, and you know, the other question is like, how concerned are the powers that be, you know, how concerned is Gene Smith with attendance trends? Right. Uh, and, and, you know, to some extent they're just going to be happy to have the revenue again. Right. So yeah. it's like, we just got to get the cash register ringing again. Yep. Uh, so, so I get that, you know, and I think that there's going to be a lot of people wanting to view Ohio state football games in person, right? Just because they've been denied that and they're like, okay, well, let's go. Well, it doesn't matter what the experience, we just want to be back in the stadium. And if they can charge exorbitant prices and people go check it out, then more power to them. I mean, and, and I want to, and I want to say like the, the question when, when we first were reading Dan's question, it was funny because I was sitting here thinking like, I hadn't been having a big craving to go to a sporting event per se, but do you know what I have been craving, especially as summer, you know, is now like in sight and that's going to a live concert. Mm. You, yeah. you know, I'm, I think I, I think I was telling the story earlier, you know, that we've, we've, uh, uh, get, got tickets from pre pandemic to go see Def Leppard and Motley Crue and whoever else they're touring with. And, and I don't know, is that concert going to happen? You know, it's in July. So kind of, you know, that could be a really interesting tipping point, right? Do they have right. is, is, is the state of Ohio is the city of Cleveland, uh, are they having what's the capacity look like and how does that change? Will the tour even happen? You, you know, I don't know. So, but I'm really craving going out and seeing some great bands. Like I, I think I was talking about George Thorogood. I, I really would love to go see George Thorogood somewhere this summer. Yeah. Will we be able to, will that happen? I, I don't know. I don't know. But like, that's what I've been craving. So I know that there are people who are absolutely, you're right. That there are people who are absolutely craving going to an Ohio state football game or a basketball game or, you know, whatever you're sporting. I know last wrestling season was really hard on a lot of people, uh, people that I, you know, talk to every week at the meets, uh, who would message me and be like, damn, I wish we were at Cavelli for the meet. So I, I know there's that pent up demand, but I think the big thing, if I'm Gene Smith and the other folks who are power brokers at that level of the sport, I'm thinking about, okay, can we use this crisis to make some progress on our attendance trend problem right. by, by figuring out how to balance this capacity question with improved game day experience for, for our fans. Yeah. And that's to figure out how that's going to work out is, is really, you know, kind of the, that's going to be the big question that they have to answer. I will. So here's the other thing, just real quick. I, <laughs> I don't want to see bad football either. <laughs> like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like it's, I'm going to be that, I'm going to be that picky. I'm not going to be the kind of guy who says I'll watch Ohio state football anytime, anywhere. 
against whatever team. No, you want to get me back in that stadium? Let's say it's full capacity, Dan. Uh, it better be against the team I give a crap about. <laughs> hey, you know, you had a great I'm not. I'm not taking uh, that. I'm not taking that risk against, like, San Jose State. I'm sorry. It's well, just I don't care that much. Well, it's funny you should mention that. Yeah, so you had a great piece at 11 Warriors uh, this week looking into the future at, at Ohio State's future opponents. So as you were going through the schedule <laughs> yeah are, are, are were, were you were you heartened looking at ohio state's future uh, opponents <laughs> or were you like want want sad trombone no i i mean you've got here's the thing you've got a lot of really good marquee opponents kind of coming up the problem is and, and this is the issue that again ohio state's gonna have to confront is that you're still sandwiched between literal months of like, what the hell, what do we do? <laughs> you know? So that's, that's the hard part about this because you want to like kind of make your hay and you've got what you've got eight ish games, home games to make as much profit as you can. It's just, it's difficult because, you know, I don't know. We I've talked about this ad nauseum, but the, the game day experience is maybe just not commensurate to what you're expected to pay for it. Mm. Um, and that can be really difficult. Even if you do have that one really awesome marquee game a year that you, you know, maybe only get to experience every other year because it's a home and home. So it's just, it's, it's difficult. Um, we've got another question here. This one's from our good friend, Alvin, who also, by the way, I, Alvin, a new uh, wrestling expert, which I'm really excited to hear. Nice Alvin totally made my week. Yeah, uh, that was great. Thank you, Alvin, for sharing your experience, spreading the love uh, for Ohio State wrestling. You are the man. Yeah, and we we briefly discussed this question, actually, myself and Alvin uh, on Twitter, and we talked about NFTs, and he said, OSU and NFTs, are these good ideas or bad? It's bad. It's bad, Alvin. It's bad. NFTs are stupid. Uh, if you don't know what an NFT is, it's basically like a copyright on uh, X's or ones and zeros. Okay. So the idea that you can essentially own something digital that everyone else can see, it's all clout. It's dumb. I don't like it. It's stupid. And uh, <laughs> Ohio State's going to start selling them, which is great, I guess. Um, Alvin asked me on online, you know, how much for the Marcus Hall double bird? Yeah. <laughs> How much can he be the sole proprietor of that? I'm like, look, man, just just download a GIF. I'll I'll give you, you know, I'll give you rights to it. I'll sign that over. I'll get Marcus. I'll get Marcus on the phone. We'll see if we can work out a deal. And if you want to drop fifty grand on that, we'll 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 go have these, I guess. But um, I think it's dumb as hell. I, I understand why people are trying to get into it, and maybe it's just like somebody in the the tech team, the the you know their video team going, yeah, let's get this going. Let's try to make some extra bank, but. Aside from being dumb, I also think it raises a lot of interesting issues regarding uh, name and image likeness and all that kind of stuff. Um, Well, yeah, that's my thing. Like Ohio State's going to start peddling these things and we're still in the the thrust of this discussion about name, image, and likeness and, and, you know, do the players have any like what are you even going to sell like that's the thing if you're going to start selling like the you know tweets or whatever is nfts or selling pieces of digital art are, are you just not going to include ohio state players and just hope that the brand carries it on the mark i don't know i, I, I and, and, and in your sell. example with the marcus hall double birds like all right if i shell out how, how many ever dogecoin to acquire this nft <laughs> you know can i then start printing that up on t-shirts and selling it like uh, yeah that, that's uh, right what that's what exactly am i buying and, and what rights convey with that and right. I, I mean part of me looks you know it's funny 
uh, I love I love listening to a couple podcasts, and one of my favorite um, podcasts is Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History. Highly recommend it if you're at all into good storytelling. And people have some quibbles about Gladwell, and um, and, and I sort of get those, but I enjoy his ability to craft a story. Mm-hmm. And he, did this, um, he did this piece in the most recent season about art museums, and he basically likens art museums to Smaug that they're basically <laughs> big dragons that hoard their treasure and you know 90% of it never sees the light of day right you know like if you just sits in their vaults nobody sees it exactly right yeah if you look at the 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 New York Metropolitan Art Museum as an example that he uses I think you know they own you know two billion pieces of artwork that are just literally in storage and you as a patron you could be you know a a big time member supporter patron and you just never see them because they have so much that they own that they can't display it all. They literally can't display it all. So like people, um, so there's an argument to be made that wealthy people uh, buy art, you know, as, as a a tax dodge or a way to launder money or to, you know, just do crazy things uh, with wealth. Like is, is a piece of what really determines how much money a piece of art is worth and so on. And I look at these NFTs sort of in the same way. Like, I feel like a bunch of people are getting gamed, and the people who, you know, are at the top of this pyramid, a pyramid scam, scam isn't quite what I mean, but the people who are at the top of the scam are going to make bank and schmucks like you and I are, are going to lose right. our socks on it. You know, that's, that's why I stay as far away from this. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And I don't know that I think I've ever heard any NFT aficionado explain it well. <laughs> like why why do you want one uh and then that's where the conversation stops because it, it, there's no real reason i don't know i i don't want to paint myself as a luddite even if i am kind of one i mean i will um, be on this i, I mean yeah. i'm not on a lot of things like i sort of get i'm not into crypto but i sort of get why people are into crypto sure it's not yeah, it, my tempo and i don't necessarily agree with all of the reasons but i understand the reasons and i think crypto people can at least explain why crypto you know and they have they have a hundred different reasons don't you know like it's not necessarily that it's a cogent like everybody who's into crypto isn't in it for the same reasons yeah but i at least understand the concept uh but if i go back to like just the underlying thing about blockchain and uh there are things about crypto that i see value in even if crypto itself as a fiat currency isn't necessarily a thing that i think is going to happen yeah but the thing is crypto could theoretically be used for goods and services so i'm so i'm back to i at least understand the concept and crypto people can explain it yes the nft thing i have i have yet to hear anyone give an explanation where i was like oh damn you know you're right like i get that yeah. You know, where you could just say, well, it's not my thing, but I understand why it's your thing. Uh, and it was funny because um, I think it was Jason Priestess was going, was, was on Twitter conversing with Ohio state's guy. Who's really all in on NFTs. And I don't remember who that is, but it, it's not important. The, the thing was like the guy's making the case and I'm in Jason's comment. And I, and I agreed with is like, well, I get why you want to sell them. Like I get why, <laughs> yeah, but why I would someone why actually the, want to buy it? Yeah. I get why the Cleveland Cavaliers or I get why the LA Lakers want to make bank on a Lord Braun James NFT. Like I get that. I don't have any idea why, you know, Bucks fan 69 wants to buy an NFT of an Ohio state. Like, I don't get that at all. Well, it's relying on the brand to sell literally anything. And, you know, I, I think Ohio and I say State that is- as somebody who has two autographed footballs right you know, within arm's reach of me, like, so 
you know, things that have no intrinsic value yeah. that I have spent a stupid amount of money on. And, and something has value because people grant it value, right? So NFT, as silly as it is, like you're literally owning a piece of, of digital property. I, I bought a pair of Kyle by... Snyder autographed shoes. I'm willing to spend stupid money on sports right. things. Like right. I, you know, that, which is I fine, and, but I don't get this. Yeah, it's totally fine. Um, it's, it's a new frontier of what people will spend money on. <laughs> And I've asked my students about it. I, I was like, look, you know, I'm an old fart. I'm 36 year old man. Maybe I just don't understand. Right. Maybe you kids get it. And they're like, yeah, it's stupid, but it's, it's for clout. And if you spend a huge amount of your time on the internet and that's where you like, I think there's a difference between people our age who spend time on the internet and people who are half our age and younger who live on the internet. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, there's a difference between logging on or pulling up a website or writing for a website or making a pot. Like, and that's something that you do versus that's who you are, right? Your, your experience of life is the internet versus it's filtered through the internet. And I think because of that, if you're somebody who says like, this is like being extremely online is who I am, then you're willing to make that logical leap of saying, okay, well, buying a tweet right and owning the rights to a tweet is literally to me the same thing as as owning an autograph football and i know that, like for a lot of people that's insane like how you can't hold a tweet anybody can see the tweet it doesn't give me any kind of like recognition or pride but for someone who literally is like online that's their digital life uh that means as much to them as anything else now i'm i i'm a little more cynical i think for most people it's just like like you said it's not quite a pyramid scheme i think it is a pyramid scheme i think there's a lot of people putting a ton of money into this who are hoping that there's a lot of other rubes who put in a ton of money into this so that (laughs) the early adopters can make a lot of money and then get out um but i i understand it from like you know a philosophical level of somebody who lives and breathes being online um, I just don't think it's something I would ever engage in. And I also don't think it's something that's going to be particularly long lived. Um, but you know, maybe I'm, I could be totally wrong. I mean, I'm surprised Bitcoin has stayed around as volatile as it is. Uh, it's, it's still there, right? People are still investing in it, putting money in it. Mm-hmm. Um, that may not last. <laughs> it may not be permanent, it may crash one day because people suddenly wake up and say, Oh wait, no government is ever going to accept this. But, um, who knows, you know? So, I think it's silly. I think it's dumb, but if people are willing to put money into it and burn down, you know, 20 square miles of rainforest to, to get Marcus Hall flipping the double bird, then then go for it. That's fine. Uh, so thank you for the questions. Those are excellent. Those are really good thought provoking questions. We look forward to answering more of them in the weeks to come and we will do that. So until next time, I'm Johnny. I'm Andy. And we'll see you next week.